0: Medical misinformation has been around forever and purveyors of miracle cures promising quick fixes through pills or potions often find willing customers who seek alternatives to a doctor's prescription. The pandemic has fueled an uptick in unproven treatments for COVID and mistrust over vaccines. What helps us build trust for making these important decisions, especially when it's related to the health and safety of ourselves and our families? Combating COVID treatment and vaccine misinformation is our discussion today on Talk of Alaska.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by
0: ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources.
1: The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters.
0: Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. The traveling medicine shows that once hawked magic elixirs, often referred to as snake oil, to cure wide-ranging ailments from the back of a horse-drawn cart have moved their sales pitches online. During the pandemic, there has been a proliferation of sites offering so-called natural cures for COVID, including a Canadian company that sold a product called Black Oxygen Organics. You could buy four and a half ounces for $110 plus shipping. What you would get is a bag of dirt, supposedly dug from deep beneath a Canadian bog, but dirt nonetheless. The company shut down right after Thanksgiving. What drives some of us to look to unverified treatments when the vast majority of healthcare professionals will tell you over and over that the best way to protect yourself from COVID and its variants is to get vaccinated, wear a mask and get a booster. Here to describe to us what they hear from Alaskans who are unconvinced about the COVID vaccine and how they are working to build trust around facts about the virus is Dr. Tom Quimby, the medical director for Matsu Regionals emergency department and an emergency physician Also on the line today is Dr. Robin Neinfeld, a family medicine physician who travels statewide, specializing in rural medicine. Dr. Neinfeld is also trained in microbiology and epidemiology. And Justice Justin Ruffridge is with us. Justin is a pharmacist in Soldatna and is a Soldatna City Council member. Welcome all of you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. All right, you can also join our conversation, Alaskans. Do you have questions about treatment that you've heard about online or from family or friends and you're looking for more information? Are you unvaccinated but considering getting the shot now? If so, what changed your mind? Are you trying to convince someone else to get the vaccine and you're looking for helpful information to give them? Give us a call statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That number is one 800 478 8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email talk at org. So start us off with how things are for you and your workload currently. Are things getting better or worse right now? Dr. Quimby? Tom?
2: Yeah, thanks, Lori. That's a good question. We appreciate that. Um, yeah, things do seem to be taking a turn for the better. We're seeing less um, patients coming in uh, with COVID getting diagnosed. We're still, we, we kind of run uh, 10 days out from when people first get sick to often when they need to be hospitalized. So we're, we're starting to finally see that trend down a little bit as well. So we're optimistic about that.
0: Well, that's good news. Uh, Dr. Neinfeld, Robin, how about for your family practice? Are you still traveling to rural communities now, or are you working primarily in Anchorage?
3: Yeah, I am. I'm still uh, taking care of folks around the state and, you know, Matthew and Anchorage, and I echo Dr. Quimby's um, uh, statement that really in in my world what I've seen is people um, are doing a lot better, and so much of that really has come from their willingness to uh, do the simple things like getting vaccinated, washing their hands, covering their mouths and, and uh, taking the advice that has been offered for well over a year now.
0: Great and and Justin, what about for you how how are things going uh, for you in the pharmacy and are you are people coming in who want alternative treatments and do they get ang- angry if they can't get them?
4: Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I guess. You know, in the pharmacy world, we're seeing, we do quite a bit of COVID testing as well as vaccinations. Um, Our testing has gone down uh, quite a bit in the last uh, few weeks as people, you know, are maybe getting less sick. Um, Vaccinations sort of have stayed steady um, overall for the last month or so. Little upticks for booster shots and things like that. Um, Kind of in the middle of that peak of, of Delta transmission, we certainly had a number of people you know, seeking treatments of all types, um, you know, alternative treatments and sort of standard treatments like monoclonal antibodies and things of that nature. We um, haven't dealt with a ton of, uh, you know, anger outright. Uh, some, of, A lot of it has been, you know, sort of uh, either online or directed on, on Facebook and, and things like that. But I will say that for a lot of the people who have been, you know, angry about, you uh, the process, or, or what's available to them, we've we've had equal number of people be uh, very grateful and uh, and very um, compassionate towards healthcare providers in our area, which has helped offset some of that. So uh, that's been been good to see.
0: Yes, that does uh, that is good that people that you're getting people who are going out of their way to, to express gratitude, which is, uh, we've seen some of that here in Anchorage as well. You, Justin, you, you called polarization, though, the common word for 2021. How has that manifested in your community, and is it changing based on what you were just saying? Maybe it is.
4: No, I, I sort of just see polarization, um, yeah, actually being uh, a virus of its own that sort of has been uh, t- taking people that I'm almost surprised that it's taking. Um, and it goes both ways. Uh, I think you see people, um, you know, on one end of a spectrum, you know, sort of uh, dismissing a lot of things or, or worried about, uh, you know, the political ramifications of viral illness. And then you see other people's willing to, you know, take every precaution and, and maybe, you know, uh, live. Know, safely uh, maybe more so than than what is needed and having mental health ramifications but you're also seeing the polarization of actions right so you're seeing people who are willing to you know um, like we were saying before you know be s- sometimes um, you know aggressively seeking alternatives to, to COVID therapies or making decisions about their employment based off of mandates or things of that nature and then you see, you know, the other, the other folks, um, I think the president was a good example when he's pointing at the screen in his announcement saying that this is a disease of the unvaccinated, which, it, you know, we certainly see a lot of unvaccinated people being ill and hospitalized, but we're still seeing vaccinated people get ill as well. And so that reads sometimes a little bit harshly to people who are unvaccinated and are struggling with making that decision. And and that can polarize people uh, on one end or another and uh, I think from a healthcare perspective that polarization is really what we're fighting against.
0: If you're just joining us this is Talk of Alaska and today we're talking about combating covid treatment and vaccine misinformation. On the line with us we have our local experts that are dealing with this on a daily basis Dr. Tom Quimby, the medical director for Matsu Regional's emergency department and an emergency physician. Dr. Robin Neinfeld, a family medicine physician who travels statewide. Dr. Neinfeld specializes in rural medicine and is trained in microbiology and epidemiology. And pharmacist Justin Ruffridge uh, is with us as well. Justin is a pharmacist in Saldatna and is also a Saldatna City Council member. You can join our conversation if you have questions or you're looking for more information about the vaccines or about other treatment ideas that maybe you've heard about. You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422 five five zero eight four two two you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org tom what are some of the most common questions you hear from people who are unconvinced that the vaccine is safe is it because of the emergency approval uh, of the initial vaccine uh, or is it mistrust of big pharmaceutical companies what what do you hear
2: Lori, that's a that's a really good question, and all the things you mentioned and more. Um, and I I will just say, we in the emergency department, locally as well as nationally, are experiencing kind of an all time level of distrust in the medical system that you know any of us in this generation remember. Um, and so I think there's many many reasons, but I think there's just this underlying sense of distrust. And I think the message we would really want to get out is. You know, we as medical providers, we're the same people that have been, you know, in this community. I've been here a decade. I work with people across the entire political spectrum on a daily basis. And our common mission is just to try to help people and um, alleviate suffering and as much as possible. And, you know, the, the thing that we really want people to know is, like, we've never, I've never gotten my information about how to treat patients from YouTube videos or you know, one random talk from someone, we get the information that we use from data that comes from people using the scientific method where we have a hypothesis and science isn't just having a hypothesis. It's the process of testing it and then using that data to establish if something is effective, how effective it is and if it's safe and then weighing all of those factors. And that can be pretty complex sometimes. And it is sometimes a messy process where, you know, it is true, you know, there are treatments, it seems like one day we're recommending and the next day more information comes to light and we're recommending against them. And so I understand how this can be really confusing um, at times uh, as an outside observer or a member of the general general public, but but I really wish to emphasize that, you know, your average treating clinician in the community is really just doing their best to take that information and, and make the best choices as a partner with the patient. And really, there's not any treatment that we're, you know, I will speak for myself as a clinician, any treatment is on the table. I mean, if we find a new tribe in the rainforest somewhere that's living to be 200 years old, whatever they're doing, if we can test it and produce data to show it works, like we're going to use it and hopefully it's cheap and safe. And so that's just the message we want to just share. And, And that's kind of the underlying message with vaccination is that The data continues to show it's very safe and it's extremely effective for um, preventing serious illness. We've had some disappointment in the degree to which it prevents transmission. It's definitely not a silver bullet. You can still get and transmit COVID, but you're less likely to do it if you're unvaccinated. So I hope that answers that question.
0: The, the new COVID variant, Omicron, Omicron, um, do you think this will encourage more Alaskans that it's time they get vaccinated, or are you concerned that it will cause more suspicion and mistrust?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the the reality is we're all really tired of COVID, but frankly, COVID's a microscopic bundle of, you know, the, the, SARS, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a microscopic bundle of protein and RNA, and it really doesn't care what we think. It doesn't care if we're tired of it or not, and it's going to keep doing its thing. Um, I think there is, you know, room for optimism. A lot of smart people think that over time, the more immunity that we get out there what hopefully it's through a combination of both vaccination and natural immunity, that this disease, like, you know, other coronaviruses before it have mutated to become less virulent, meaning less, they make people less. Seriously ill. I mean, COVID's not going to go away, but the more you know, vaccination and when we need it, uh, other non-pharmaceutical interventions like wearing masks and, and physical distancing that we do, I think over time this disease will just become more manageable and seasonable, uh, seasonal. So I think there are reasons for optimism, and I would just hope people make a personal choice to protect themselves and for their own health um, when they consider vaccination.
0: So I, I want to get Robin and Justin back in here, but before I do, Tom, I want to follow up on something you said about natural immunity. When when you mentioned that, are you talking about people who have had the virus and they have immunity because they have contracted COVID and, and now they have protection against it? or? Because we hear natural immunity, some people saying, well, I think natural immunity will protect me whether they've had the virus or not. What What's the reality there? Tom? Do we lose our callers? <laughs> Possibly.
3: <clears throat> Possibly. I can step in if, if uh, he fell off the call. Oh. Um, so, this is Dr. Dietfeld. Um. Yes. So... The, the question of will natural immunity, i.e., I've had it, I should be protected, um, is that enough to, to use Tom's word to, to be a silver bullet of protection? And the answer to that is no. Um, and the reality is we simply do not yet know how long uh, a person is protected with the antibodies that are developed after having had their own bout with covid Um, We've seen in the literature where it can be as little as 30 days, and some people it's lasting nine months. Uh, We can use some biostatistical models um, to forecast that, you know, on the upper limit, some people might be protected for as long as 18 months. But the fact of the matter is, we simply do not know how long someone is protected. Moreover, um, because a person has contracted, say, the alpha variant, which was the first one that got our attention, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are protected against the Delta variant, which is you know what we're in the, the throes of right now. And you know even though Omicron has reared its head, uh, we're not yet seeing uh, in the US and especially Alaska, um, a huge showing of Omicron yet. And you know, we don't know, if that's going to be a bigger player than Delta is. Um, But one does not necessarily protect from the other. That said, there are really positive studies that show that an individual who has had and recovered from COVID of any variant, who also goes on to get vaccination, they are the most protected from contracting a breakthrough case or um, a, a different Down the road, so that's incredibly, uh, incredibly positive. And it had been a concern that perhaps you know we uh, we wouldn't have that protection, but that is one of the great things that we've that we've seen coming out of the data. 1-800-478-8255
0: is the number to call statewide if you'd like to join our conversation today about combating misinformation uh, related to COVID treatment and vaccines. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. Let's go to the phones for a moment. Steve is in Craig. Hello, Steve. Hello there. Did you have a, hi, did you have a question or a comment?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, and I have a a couple friends that are just completely, totally sold on the ivermectin, and a lot of the stuff I'm hearing about ivermectin is it's just not approved, but what I'd really like to know, these are pretty smart people. Does it actually work? I mean, I haven't heard much about that. I've heard that it hasn't been run through the tests and the process of FDA and all that, but does it work is what I'd like to know.
3: All right, well, I would love to tag team this one with Justin if that's okay.
0: Please do. This is Dr. Neinfeld.
3: Yeah. So thank you so much. That's one of the the most common questions that I get. And um, the the reality here is that there is a difference between what we call in vitro and in vivo. And, you know, people have noted studies saying, hey, it's been shown in the lab that it has efficacy uh, against viruses. We need to be able to use this to our heart's content and just wipe this thing out. The issue here is while a drug, uh, in this case ivermectin, can be shown in a lab, so in vitro, to have uh, action against a microbe or virus of any sort that doesn't necessarily always transmit one-to-one to to its ability to fight in vivo, which is in an actual human taking it. And what it boils down to is while there may be some action against COVID-19 in the lab, the dose that one would have to take to actually have that action play out in real life would be a lethal dose, would be toxic, and it would uh, kill one's liver. So, you know, that's a, a wonderful example of where just a little bit of truth makes its way in and creates the seed of misinformation among very well-meaning people.
0: That's that's such an important point. And, you know, it reminds me of something that um, Tom, Dr. Quimby, said in an earlier interview about... Uh, uh, and Dr. Quimby, maybe you could pick this up here. You were talking about uh, if if you told somebody to put ketchup on their earlobes, um, describe that uh, what you were getting at there about that as a treatment protocol.
2: Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thanks. So sorry about that earlier. Yeah. No. I. So, in answer to the caller's question, no. Um, and what, to what I said earlier, anything's on the table. And at the beginning of this pandemic, I mean, everybody was trying everything. And I, man, if if something cheap, effective, and safe like ivermectin worked, that would be amazing. And I and I had high hopes, like everybody else. But the reality is, and and you will find people who take ivermectin and they do fine. And so then people will say, oh, well, my friend took it, so I know it works. The reality is. I think everyone knows and agrees that COVID thankfully doesn't have a super high mortality rate. It has a, it's very infectious. And so even though it's mortality rate isn't that high, it kills a lot of people, but we know most people to get COVID will recover and will do fine. Um, And so the challenge with that is I could tell 10 people coming into, you know, an outpatient office with COVID to put ketchup on their earlobes and statistically they're going to get better and likely they'll attribute whatever they did to, um, you know, during that time that they were sick to them getting better. But we already established that most people are going to get better if they do nothing. And so it's really important that we have randomized controlled trials where we, you know, if we think ketchup on the earlobes treats COVID well, we need a group of ketchup on their earlobes. And then we need a group that has something exactly that looks and feels and smells like ketchup on their earlobes, but it's not. And we need to blind them and the treating providers and give it to everybody. See at the end of it when we unblind it if there was a difference in, in mortality, and hospitalization, in the length of illness. And if ketchup on the earlobes or ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or whatever um, ends up showing a benefit, and we can balance that with whatever harm is causing, that we'll use it. But what we can confidently say for ivermectin at this point is there are not any high-quality data showing an effect, um, unfortunately. And if there was, then, we, then man, we'd be, be all behind it. So that's just the reality. And the other harm is that when you have something that's not effective and people are putting a lot of emphasis behind it, it can also be distracting from effective treatments, and that's part of the danger too.
0: Well, and as, as uh, Dr. Neinfeld noted, you would have to take such high doses that it would be toxic to you. So um, you would die from the cure uh, before you progress farther with the illness from the virus itself. We have an email from um, Rob in Juneau, who says, education failure over this pandemic, I have been really appalled at the amount of time and effort wasted on educating people on things every citizen, citizen should know. Everyone should know what the scientific method is, what a virus is, what a vaccine does, what DNA is, what RNA is, and why a kook on the internet is not a valid source of medical information. And, you know, I think uh, that that frustration that we hear from people is, um, you know, seems like we hear more of that um, from folks who are just sort of exasperated. Robin, Talk a little about the distinction between mortality versus morbidity. You said a lot of people get hung up on thinking that the mortality rate is low, so why should there be so much concern about COVID?
3: Right, right. And, you know, what Dr. Quimby was saying was spot on in terms of, you know, sure, you know, generally speaking, not a heck of a lot of people do end up passing away uh, when they contract the illness, they can get super duper sick, Um, but by and large, they recover. Um, The issue, however, that seems to be lost on a lot of people is this concept of morbidity. And um, in short, that basically means what do you wind up with uh, when you do recover, if you don't die, what are the downstream effects that are possible? And what we've seen so far, and of course, we fully expect that we'll see other things down the road, Um, What we see so far is people developing some heart problems that perhaps they didn't have before, obviously some difficulty breathing. People are developing issues with their heartbeat going up and down or their body remembering how to regulate itself. People having uh, difficulty remembering or thinking clearly. And, you know, we've heard this term long COVID a lot uh, in the media, Um, but the thought down the road is, you know, there may be some other autoimmune disorders that will pop up that we'll have to keep our our eyes open for. And really, that impacts people's quality of life, but it also impacts the economy. And people don't really think about that. It impacts their ability to take care of their children, their families, their parents, their loved ones. Um, and it's so difficult to um, to see people. When, you know, they've recovered, they're happy about that. The family is happy about that. But their quality of life is so diminished. Um, And that, you know, further pushes the envelope toward depression and anxiety. So the big thing that we as physicians are really keeping in mind here, it's not so much the, you know, whether someone, did they live or did they die? Frankly, that's the easy part. It's what comes after they survive if they did have a, a Close brush, And some people, very young people, who had even a mild infection are winding up with the aftermath, the morbidity factor of COVID. So that's the real reason, at least in my practice, why I really encourage people to get the vaccine to, you know, even if it doesn't prevent them 100% from contracting the virus, it will prevent them from having a severe bout of the virus and Ultimately, having a horrible morbidity down the road.
0: So, advocating for protection so that you don't take the risk of you might survive right. it, but you might also affect the rest of your life.
3: Right, right. Just the you know that that ounce of prevention can mean so much.
0: Justin, you said that you think there are challenges in helping people understand disease and viral illness and past events of fast-spreading viruses. Talk a little about, about that.
4: Yeah, I sure will. I, I wanted to go back just for a second and, and just say I agree 100% with what uh, Dr. Quimby was saying with the uh, ketchup uh, analogy uh, and ivermectin. Um, and wanted to throw out for the listeners, especially the question from Craig, um, that there were actually at least one trial done between Brazil and Canada called the TOGETHER trial, which stopped its ivermectin arm because it showed no, no benefit. Uh, so that's something that he and, uh, and maybe uh, his fellow uh, uh, people in his area could, could look at. In addition, if people do want to trial ivermectin, there is an ongoing trial in the United States being run by Duke University uh, called the Active 6 trial. Uh, If a practitioner is wanting to prescribe ivermectin for you uh, for a COVID treatment, it would be my recommendation that it be done inside of a clinical trial. That way, your taking of it... is able to be followed and studied. And right now they actually opened the enrollment for that to, uh, to nationwide enrollment. So that could be something that your prescriber could, could, uh, could get into and, and look at if they want to prescribe ivermectin. But um, uh, to your other question, um, I mean, viral illness is something that, you know, this generation of people living now maybe, especially in the United States, didn't have a ton of experience with. But viral illness has certainly been a part of human existence for for quite some time. And in reality, we've we've always treated those things really through through one way, either hoping it goes away uh, as one thing uh, or or with vaccines. We've treated multiple uh, viral illnesses throughout um, and really eradicated them in, in this country uh, through vaccines, Uh And one of the one of the illnesses we haven't eradicated uh, is the is the flu virus. Uh, And so we still vaccinate against that. But we also have oral antiviral drugs, which there is going to be an option for that for COVID. It seems like in the near future Uh, for people that uh, contract the flu and who are at high risk um, that they have an option to take for that. Um, but I, I just want to make, you know, the listeners understand that there is a long history of viral illness, um, that really is not treatable through very, you know, um, easy therapeutics. You just take a pill and it goes away, i.e. Ivermectin. Really, it has been vaccination in, in the modern times that have helped us live, you know, healthy, productive lives apart from viral illness. Uh, so just looking at the history of it, we're, we're on the right track, um, and, and we're finding therapeutics, antivirals. We also have great vaccines available that prevent hospitalization and death. And really we're in a great place um, and, and really hope that people take advantage of those opportunities that
2: are in front of them.
0: All right, thank you so much. On that note, we are going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with our medical experts about combating COVID treatment and vaccine misinformation as Talk of Alaska continues statewide.
1: Today's program is underwritten in part by
0: ConocoPhillips investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources.
5: Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way, through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA.
0: Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing the work in combating misinformation as it relates to treatment for the COVID virus and the vaccine. Our guests today are Dr. Tom Quimby, the Medical Director for Matsu Regionals Emergency Department, Dr. Robin Neinfeld, a family medicine physician who travels statewide and specializes in rural medicine, and Justin Ruffridge, who is a pharmacist in Soldatna and a Soldatna City Council member. You can join our conversation if you have questions or comments or are seeking more information. Statewide, the number is 1-800-478-8255. 1-800-478-8255. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. Robin, 100 or more doctors, including yourself, signed a letter to the state medical board in November over concern that misinformation about the vaccine and treatment is being spread by physicians. What has happened since the letter was submitted to the board, and what do you think should happen?
3: Well, um, before I get into that, I I want to uh, clarify for a lot of folks um, who believe that that letter was intended to, um, to serve as a, a punitive measure, and it absolutely wasn't. Uh, a lot of people may be aware of the goings-on at the Anchorage Assembly meeting that really took on a, a circus sideshow uh, flavor, if you will. And a lot of people mentioned a letter that came out from uh, multiple medical boards which essentially told those of us who are board certified that we need to be sure that we are sharing validated information and not participating in the spread of mis- and disinformation. Um, Essentially, it was a reminder of our duty and our sworn uh, ethical allegiance to providing the best gold standard of medical care. And some people thought that that, (coughs) pardon me, that that letter from boards was intended as a threat, and it certainly was not. Um, the letter that was sent to the Alaska Board of Medicine uh, echoed that and urged the, the governing body to be sure that they take a look at those uh, practitioners in our state who are spreading uh, miss and disinformation, and some of them have done so uh, in rather public fashion. Um, after that letter was submitted, there was uh, a, um, a quarterly meeting of the Board of Medicine to which the public uh, was invited, and you know others desiring to listen in and take part were invited, and there was an open session uh, for 90 minutes that permitted people from the general public to voice their concerns. It permitted other physicians and pharmacists, et cetera, to voice uh, their concerns. And by and large in listening to the uh, legitimate physicians in our state, the, the sentiment was clear that most of us are uh, doing our very best to follow gold standards to stick to things that are validated uh via studies you know whether it's the ketchup on the ear or otherwise um and then there were people from the public who fell into the um the climb that a lot of us are hearing about the ivermectin like we've talked about before and uh conspiracy theories that it seems like there's a new one every every week and my takeaway from that is there is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear among many people. And when people are afraid, sometimes they become uh, irritable or violent and cantankerous. And I think that has it's been the hardest part, at least for myself and some of my colleagues, that we, to echo something that Dr. Quimby said earlier, we honestly want our patients and our state to do well to to thrive and we're doing our, our best but when people call us for instance I was called a murderer when I spoke um, at the assembly I'm not a murderer none of my colleagues are murderers we're doing our very best to keep you healthy um, so does that answer halfway at least
0: well and, and I want to follow up there uh, about uh... This, and also something that Justin said before we took a break, um, a story from the Associated Press in November on the misinformation concern by Alaska doctors uh, that prompted the call for the state medical board to investigate has this line in it. The, it says, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has said it has not authorized or approved ivermectin for use in preventing or treating COVID-19. The agency last year also said hydro, hydro chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine were unlikely to be effective in treating the coronavirus. Not authorized, unlikely to be effective. Would it be better to be more definitive and clearly say, don't treat yourself with these substances, they're dangerous. The soft language seems to leave a door open for people to have hope that it might work for them. Why doesn't the FDA say no, full stop? And, you know, it goes back to what Justin was saying about there's a a clinical trial open with ivermectin now, and if people want to get that, they should be part of that trial. I understand that thinking, but also doesn't that cause more confusion with people then? Well, there's a clinical trial. There must be something there uh, related to ivermectin. Mm -hmm. How do you see that, Dr. Neinfeld?
3: You know, I honestly think that goes back to uh, what the gentleman who uh, sent the email from Juno in terms of uh, you know basic health literacy and basic scientific literacy and I absolutely agree that we are at the point that we need to stop pulling punches we need to call a spade a spade um, stop using the soft language if we are going to protect people because you know we've really we've reached a point that frankly it's become ludicrous I mean it's been over a half century since we sent men to the moon, for God's sake, um, you know, using slide rules and pencils and paper. And yet now we're in a world where there's this misinformation um, that really makes us seem like a, a tragic species. You know, We're debating whether or not germs are a real thing. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in full agreement that we need to just do a hard stop and, like I said, call a spade a spade.
0: Do do you think some of this goes back to when drug companies started to market directly to the public through television and magazine ads rather than just marketing to doctors? My sister's a retired nurse, and she talks a lot about how when that started many years ago, people started coming in and demanding certain drugs because they were sure Mm -hmm. they knew what they needed because of advertising. Sometimes it was hilarious. One lady came into the clinic and uh, wanted a drug that she was sure was related to arthritis, and it was ac- actually an ad for Viagra. So my sister had to explain <laughs> to her that that would not help her arthritis. But do you think some of it goes back to that? And then let's uh, let's get your thoughts, and then uh, Dr. Quimby, Tom, it would be great to hear from you, too.
3: Sure. Yeah, I w- if I recall correctly, it was 1998 uh, when the FCC started allowing drug companies to advertise on television, and you can draw an absolute one-to-one correlation between um, that uh, allowance and the number of drug interactions and adverse events due to drug interactions uh, in our our populace. And we've seen people get on a, a handful of medications that when they interact, they cause another symptom. So they go to their doctor and they say, hey, doc, I need, you know, an anti-nausea medicine because I'm feeling nauseated. And uh, pretty quickly out of the gate, you've got 25 medications on a list, which is really not healthy for anyone aside from someone who is recovering from, say, a, a kidney transplant who needs to be on that sort of sure. regimen. Um, I, I really do think you're you're on Onto something there.
0: Well, uh, I do want to hear from Dr. Quimby Tom, but let's go to Justin. He's the pharmacist. So Justin, how, uh, um, I I don't think you're probably old enough to have been a pharmacist in 1998, but do you think that that change in marketing and how now it's directly to the public, how does that complicate your work?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say You know, that marketing directly to the public, we probably felt most strongly in the opiate crisis. Um, And I think that's being, you know, made well aware publicly now through litigation um, that the marketing campaign for opiates was uh, misleading and uh, directed people to take medications that they thought had zero addictive uh, potential for them. And actually, in some cases, that marketing was directed. Uh, straight to healthcare care providers. Um, and it was something that, you know, um, many health care providers, um, you know, took up in, in, in great quantities. Uh, when I was in pharmacy school, I remember um, actually one of my professors making the statement that we have uh, officially gone into the age where people don't have to live in pain, that we've conquered pain um, with, with opiates. Um and that was really one of the prevalent sort of thoughts uh, not not that long ago. And so I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of validity in um, the statement that, you know, the promotion of, of medication uh, through the Internet or through television means has has led to this um, sort of rise. And I know better. I, I will say that the, the Internet is probably the greatest, um, you know, problem for us. Sure. Um, we see a lot of people diagnosing themselves online, um, you know, searching medication options online, um, and the sources are dubious at best. Um, and so you have to really work through uh, the scientific method, science in general, the human body, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, and you have to do it all in a relatively short period of time in order to, you know, really help guide people to to better choices overall. But, yeah.
0: mm mm-hmm. We are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll, get, uh, we'll follow up with Dr. Tom Quimby about what he's seeing in this regard as Talk of Alaska continues statewide.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
5: Opioids are sometimes prescribed for pain. Common opioids include hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, fentanyl, and codeine. Never share your opioids with family or friends. It may cause addiction, trouble with the law, overdose, and death always securely store opioids away from children and others and be sure to get rid of opioids as soon as you're done using them email projecthope at alaska.gov to learn how to safely dispose of opioids this message sponsored by the state of alaska department of health and social services alaska usa has been on a journey with alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948 they'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow alaskausa.org This message sponsored by Alaska USA.
0: Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. If you have questions or comments or are seeking information about vaccines and treatment for COVID, we have medical experts on the line with us today. 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Tom, Dr. Quimby, uh, how about for you, the direct marketing that has been to the public from pharmaceutical companies, does that uh, complicate things for you when you're talking to people about what they may need prescribed? We may have lost Dr. Quimby again. No. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Uh, well, uh, I, I Dr. Wanted, Neinfeld, let's... I to, yeah, please. Sure.
3: Yeah, I wanted to, to uh, follow up on what Justin was saying, which, again, absolutely right. What a lot of people don't um, really realize is that when they get over-the-counter medications or even vitamins, these are also medications. Uh, so, you know, in the treatment of covid Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people uh, have recommended and, you know, early studies was, were showing that, you know, there was a correlation between vitamin D deficiency and severity of disease. Um, So a lot of people jumped on board and said, Oh, well, that must mean I need to take a lot of vitamin D. What people don't realize is that even vitamins, some of them can become toxic Mm -hmm. vitamin D for example, Um, A, D, E, and K, all of those vitamins are fat-soluble, so they stay in uh, your body and they can build up and um, poison you, unlike, say, vitamin C, which is water-soluble. And, you know, these are uh, minutiae that it takes people years of education to really come to appreciate. And when we have people promoting, like you said earlier, snake oil cures, it's not Without harm, it may sound like it's harmless. Yeah, it's just a vitamin. It's an over-the-counter. It's ibuprofen. It's Tylenol. But you know, it's it's not without harm. Which is why it's so important to when people do pick up their prescriptions, make sure if they have any questions, to consult with a pharmacist who's there uh, to. Talk to their healthcare provider and make sure that they're clear about what they're taking and why.
0: Sure, and and follow the directions uh, on the label yeah. about dose um, amounts. Let's go to the phones for a moment. Joe is in Anchorage. Joe is not in Anchorage. Well, he probably is in Anchorage, but he's not on the line. Robin, I want to <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about um, your work in rural Alaska. Um, mm-hmm. You travel quite a bit and and noted that the way people in the villages have dealt with COVID is very different than in Anchorage and Matsu. What are the distinctions? Talk talk about that.
3: Yeah, um, it was really a a breath of fresh air and um, early on uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, I'm sure we'll all recall that Alaska was doing really well at making sure that we kept the numbers down we were doing really well with preventing infection i mean we were leading the nation in a good way as opposed to when we got our failing score uh, a few weeks ago Um, but the villages were doing even better when you looked at them as a microcosm and that in my opinion what i've witnessed was because of the tradition of uh, storytelling and passing down vital information from elder to the next generation. And it wasn't so long ago that, you know, flu came through. And this, you know, was within recent history for a lot of the elders. Elders recall their parents um, falling ill or recovering and having the stories that were passed down. And so, you know, back over 100 years ago, they even – had delegations of of tribal members standing miles outside of town, outside of the villages, forbidding people from coming in, right. and they realized that that's how they stopped the spread of this flu, and that played out pretty seamlessly uh, during this pandemic as well. Unfortunately, more recently, um, due to you know air travel, people needing to come to Anchorage to receive medical care and going back. Um, It was just taking one person to go into the village and infect 50 people. So it was a really good start, and they've really, really done well in terms of respecting preventative measures.
0: All right, we have Dr. Quimby back again. And, uh, Tom, a story reported by NPR on Sunday found that since May of 2021, people living in counties that voted heavily for Donald Trump during the last presidential election have been nearly three times as likely to die from COVID-19 as those who live in areas that went for now President Biden. The story goes on to say that recent polling shows that partisanship is now the single strongest identifying predictor of whether someone is vaccinated. Polling also shows that mistrust in official sources of information and exposure to misinformation about both COVID-19 and the vaccines runs high among Republicans. When you're talking to Alaskans about getting vaccinated, do politics creep into the conversation? And if so, how do you work to remove partisan suspicions from the science that you're trying to relay?
2: Yeah, great question, Lauren. Can you hear me?
0: Okay. Yes.
2: Okay. So sorry about the technical difficulties. Um, yeah, I am aware of this data, and I just think to sum it up, it's a really great illustration of why mixing politics with medical decision-making is a bad idea. I mean, the, the death correlates exactly with the rates of vaccination. And so, again, I, I think, you know, I want to send the message to the listeners um, and to any prospective patients of mine that um, we, we do in the scientific community and the medical community, we want incredible transparency. And sometimes that's why things are confusing because it's a complex process. And, and I, I agree with that. We really need to be careful of our sources if there's ever anyone suggesting that they have an amazing cure or treatment and they can't transparently provide the numbers and the data, then we need to be skeptical of that, in- including in the medical community. And I actually want to just just say, yes, um, please be careful of your sources. But, yes, also we live in a, an era of unprecedented access to information. So I actually like it when my patients come in, they – tried to do a little bit of looking around and they have specific questions. And as long as we can have a mutually trustful relationship, a lot of times we can, we have better questions and they become a better advocate for their health. But again, it goes back to those sources and the information I and the other professionals on this call uses all transparent, publicly available information. You can go to PubMed where that's the repository for all Um, credible medical um, and really any scientific studies and you can search it yourself you know it can sometimes be difficult to interpret what the results of a study are but it's all transparent and that's where we get our information from well and And we can link to that tragedy to see people yeah and and sorry to sum up it is a tragedy to see what we've seen happen as people because of this mixing of politics with medical decision-making some people making really bad decisions that then I see them firsthand suffering and and bearing a terrible personal cost um, for bad information that they got. And that that's the true tragedy to me. It's like, you know, a lot of these people maybe didn't need to experience this. And so right. um, please be careful of your sources and please know that we have your best intentions, medical providers.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. Let's go to the phones for a moment. Joe is in Anchorage. Hi, Joe. Hello. Did you have a question?
6: So, yeah, my question was um, there... Over the years, you know, they've sat there and said, you know, they limit the amount of penicillin your kids could take because, you know, over time it would lose its effectiveness or, you know, it would mutate or whatever for whatever reason. But it it seems like we have kind of discarded that whole, um, I guess, situation. And then we now we're determining we're going to end up getting, you know, a shot that there was no real Um, explanation that there might be a booster and then you know now we're into geez there's going to be you know one a year like the flu and then we're going to have now we're going to have tablets and and we're choosing to give children things that you know we've kind of had a history of explaining you know a certain certain way now we're now we're kind of pushing that aside and uh, I guess is it worth the uh, risk long term to uh, kind of use that method, I guess, of explanation.
0: I, I want to be sure that I understand your question. Um, so, what when you're talking about method, what are what are you talking about? What 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 is the question here?
6: Well, like over time, are we going to continue to be, you know, receiving medications to try to you know reduce the effect of this that it has an effect on our children? You know, when they get older and they have no immune system, I guess to fight something on their own.
0: I see, um, Doctor uh, Quinby or Doctor Neinfeld or Justin, any of you want to tackle sure. this? This idea of, uh, I think what what um, Joe is getting to is concern about overuse, perhaps, of mm-hmm. of treatments.
3: That's actually a really uh, it's a good question, and that's one that I've received a number of times. And um, it, it takes a little parsing out. So, Joe, you're absolutely right about uh, the, the ineffectiveness that can arise with antibiotics. And that's for things that are actual bacterial infections. So, for instance, you've heard of staph infection, um, things of, of that nature, sometimes ear infections, things that are bacterial in nature, when we overuse antibiotics, for instance, you know, when we uh, give someone an antibiotic for what's really a viral cold, uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot with that. So you're spot on in terms of uh, the need to be uh, careful in, in how much we, we use antibiotics. This, however, in terms of vaccination is an, in a different lane. Um, this relies upon our, our own body's ability to produce its own version of an antimicrobe, so a, a fighting machine, which is different than using an antibiotic, uh, which would attack the bacteria itself. Because viruses, um, they mutate on their own. That's sort of what they're born to do. And as they run through our bodies, they all pick up a little bit of different Genetic material and go on, and that's how we see different strains come about. That said, when we use vaccines, um, that doesn't produce uh, a sort of resistance that you would see in a medication like an antibiotic, like penicillin. Mm-hmm. So, I know that's just the tip of the iceberg, but and thank you for being aware of that. But these are, are different lanes of. Of the
0: issue, and also uh, just an, a, an addition on there, I, I always am reminded of how my nurse sister used to preach about when you are taking antibiotics, make sure you take them as prescribed and all of them, so that you don't create right. uh, stronger bugs by Different only bugs. taking yeah, yeah by only taking part of the antibiotics. We only have about one less than a minute left, and Justin, I wanted to get back to you just quickly. You said that you think mandates don't help people see the situation as serious, but rather it just scares them or causes more animosity, if you don't see mandates as effective, what do you think works best to help people choose the vaccine and wearing a mask?
4: Oh, unfortunately, it's the most inefficient thing of all time. It's uh, one-on-one conversations with people, uh, answering questions, hearing their fears, um, talking to them you know, openly and honestly, and not treating them like they're a problem or that they're unintelligent. Um, and I, I think that that's where we get with a mandate is trying to have a quick solution to a problem to just say, do it my way um, or do it the way that we know will be helpful. But people don't people don't respond well to that, especially in Alaska, a very independently minded place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's not efficient and, and it's not easy to do, uh, especially in a busy health care field. But it certainly is about the only way I've seen to work thus far.
0: So it comes down to building trust and having those conversations. Thank you so much to my guest today, Dr. Tom Quimby, Dr. Robin Neinfeld, and pharmacist Justin Ruffridge. Uh, thanks also to our engineer, Tobin Shelby, our producer, Adlin Baxter, and on the phones today, Kavitha George. Next week for Talk of Alaska is the final in our series looking at the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act's 50th anniversary. Next week's ANCSA program will feature young Alaska Native leaders discussing what they want to see in the next 50 years for this historic legislation. You can find more of our reporting on ANCSA at our website, alaskapublic.org slash 50 Thanks for listening today. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week.
1: Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.